0: Hello, and welcome back to New Books in American Studies, part of the New Books Network. I'm Carrie Lane, the host of the channel. It's common these days to hear young people being urged to collect and record the stories of their grandparents or parents in order to learn and preserve their family's history. For a few fortunate folks, like Robin Legere Henderson, such a record already exists. Henderson's maternal grandmother, Matilda Rabinowitz, penned her own memoir before her passing in 1963 so that her grandchildren would know her history. With candor and wit, Rabinowitz, who was born in 1887 in Ukraine, describes her experiences as an immigrant, factory worker, single mother by choice, and union organizer. In Immigrant Girl, Radical Woman, a memoir from the early 20th century, published by ILR Press in 2017. Henderson has expanded her grandmother's memoir with her own commentary and original black-and-white scratchboard drawings that illustrate Rabinowitz's early life. Her journey to America, political awakening, work as an IWW organizer, her turbulent romance to Henderson's grandfather, and Rabinowitz's struggle to support herself and her child. To hear more about this unique collaboration across generations, listen to my interview with artist, curator, and author Robin Legere Henderson. Interested listeners can also learn more about Robinowitz through an exhibit she'll be featured in at the Walter P. Reuther Library at Wayne State University in Detroit, where Robinowitz once led a Studebaker strike. I'm thrilled to be talking today with Robin Legere Henderson, who published her grandmother Matilda Rabinowitz's memoir, Immigrant Girl, Radical Woman, a memoir from the early 20th century with ILR Press, an imprint of Cornell University Press in 2017. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Carrie. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, and I'm happy to have you here. Um, Could you begin by just telling us a little bit about yourself,
1: where you were born, went to school, your life outside of this book? Sure. Um, I'm a California girl born in Stockton, California, where my dad was a labor organizer and um, but soon moved to Los Angeles as a little kid. And that's where I grew up Uh, until I was 15. And I was wrenched out of my wonderful high school in Los Angeles, John Marshall High, and thrown into the wilds of upper middle class Fresno. And I just languished there for a long time and then, but I was lucky to uh graduate from high school there after two miserable years and um go to uh Reed College in Portland, Oregon, where I spent two years um deciding that I really wasn't an academic and uh transferred to Berkeley, which was just on the cusp of starting of the the beginnings of the free speech movement and all the wonderful exciting times of the 1960s so um and i i majored in english literature and then um went back to los angeles for a couple of years after i graduated and taught elementary school and then i decided i was going to be an artist um because that was the only thing i could remember really it was the only thing i did that would keep me up past bedtime, sometimes till two or three in the morning, drawing and painting. So I decided that that's what I should do. And so I went to art school at the San Francisco Art Institute for almost two years. And then um, kids, travels, kids, work. I worked for 20 years as a as a curator and the director of a couple of art of community art centers uh, the the last one I worked for for twenty years was the Berkeley Art Center in Berkeley, California, which is where I live now that's great um,
0: well now this interview is a bit unorthodox. I usually interview authors about books they have written, um, and in this case, the book we're discussing was was initially written by your grandmother, Matilda Rabinowitz, and then it was expanded and illustrated and and brought to publication by you so could you also tell me a little bit about matilda
1: and her life um i knew my grandmother um she was the only grandparent i really knew uh, my father's both my father's parents were dead and um my grandfather was way way in the background and maybe we can talk a little bit about that later on because he was an interesting character um but uh but matilda was was my grandmother so that's that's essentially how i knew her but she was a very unusual grandmother she was extremely verbal and uh, intelligent and really really involved in current events politics and um and just you know general world affairs and i didn't realize anything about her, her past, except that I knew that she had been born in Russia, something that she would rarely discuss with us. I, we always questioned her about growing up in Russia and she had very little to say about it. But, um, as I grew older, I, I came to know that she, uh, was a labor organizer, a very, during a very, very, um, important time in, um, labor history in this country. She, she was one of two female organizers for the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World, and, um, was, uh, um, the only other woman that was active at that time in, in, during the Wobbly's heyday, where it was Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, who everybody's heard of that studies labor history, but nobody knew about Matilda. So um, I I think her experiences as an immigrant, as a worker in sweatshops, growing up working in sweatshops as a teenager, and then um, coming to this country um, as a kid and learning English and then becoming politicized by her, her own personal history and the fact that she didn't get an education, which she really longed for made her a very very um strong and forceful uh character both as a as a grandmother and also um as i came to learn later on in in u.s history and how did you come to first read her diary well it it actually was was a memoir that she wrote so it was she was also reflecting on her um her Important uh, events in her life, and and she um, might have indicated that she was working on something. She wrote all the time. She was a good writer, and she wrote usually um, polemical stuff for for labor publications like the Industrial Worker or the Socialist Newsletter or something like that. But um, I I didn't know that she also was. Working on this memoir, probably when she was in her sixties, fifties, or sixties, late late in her life after she had retired. But after she died, among her papers, and there were some poems and some short stories and some other um, short things, was this longer document, and it was this memoir, and it covered the time of her her earliest memories as a kid in Russia, and ended at about the time that she moved to California when my mother was about five years old and it was it was just an extraordinary document but it was funny at the time when my mother and I discovered it among her papers and and both of us thought oh this is so old-fashioned we it really needs to be updated but it's a good story and now when I more recently when I started Really working on it, I realized. No, it sounds old-fashioned because she was born in 1887. <laughs> of course, she wrote like a Victorian, um, and and it's wonderful. It's it's very characteristic of writing of the time. So for years, and she died in 1963. So for years and years and years, I felt like this needs to this needs to be published. But it was only a hundred pages and i felt that um it needed to be expanded but i'm not a historian i'm not um an academic i i i write but i i wrote a lot of art art stuff art criticisms and catalog essays and that sort of thing but um i'm not really equipped to write um to make a commentary on a historical document and i thought but i could do it as a as a personal thing but That's not really enough. And for some reason, it took me until I retired to realize, well, my goodness, I'm an artist. I could illustrate it. And that's one of the things that I'm kind of um, sorry that this is a radio interview, because the audience can't see the illustrations, which I think um, really add to the texture of the work itself. Well, and, uh, you know, my
0: hope is actually that by listening to this interview, more people are going to find their way to the book itself so they can see those incredible drawings. Because you're right, it, it certainly would be regretful if people heard Matilda's story without seeing the illustrations that I think you you really bring to life. Um, the memoir that she left. And and it's interesting that you say it felt old-fashioned to you because I think what I was struck by, and, and we can talk about this in more detail later, what I was struck by again and again while reading this is how thoroughly modern Matilda is in so many ways that, I mean, you could bring her right down to this minute in American culture. And she would have a lot to say about the current political moment. And I think she would still be, you know, characterized as sort of a a progressive, forward-thinking woman,
1: even in the the 21st century. I I agree. And in fact, it's funny, I used to argue with her about, well, feminism was one thing that we would argue about. And I would say dismissive things to her, like, Oh, Nana, people, women got the vote in, in 1920. Come on. And then, you know, what do you know, 10 years later, I'm in a win, women's consciousness raising group and she was so right and I was <laughs> so silly. <laughs> but I well, agree with interest I think she, she is modern. <laughs>
0: Well, she's modern. And she's also, you know, frankly, she's a real badass. I mean, I just, I I had very formidable (laughs) grandmothers as well, but they were more formidable, um, sort of within a a sort of domestic sphere. Um, And and they weren't necessarily as politically engaged outside of um, their sort of family and close knit community. And, you know, she was just, well, 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 we'll go in and we'll talk about all the things that she was doing. Um, but, but before we dig sort of more into the story of Matilda's life and, and the way um, the information she puts in her memoir, maybe you could tell me when you started putting together the, the commentaries that you added to the memoir, how did you go about doing that? You've said you're not a historian, but, but it seems to me you clearly did a lot of researching so that you could add the context that would help readers make sense of what matilda discusses in her memoir.
1: Yeah, I I it, that was very important to me. So I did do a lot of research. I did a lot of different kinds of research. I first of all, I visited almost all the locations that she mentions in the memoir. And since I'm from the west coast and have had very little time to explore Um, the eastern part of the country, uh, going to places like Nantucket for the first time where my mother was born or seeing um, New York, the Lower East Side of New York and trying to imagine what it was like in 1900 when she arrived. Going to Greenville, South Carolina where she tried to organize cotton mill workers and just just being able to see the kind of light that's there and, and the older buildings and go to some of the old mill villages gave me gave me a a, And then I took the train from South Carolina to New York city. So I had the experience of actually traveling the way she might've traveled. Although I did get a sleeper and I'm sure she sat in the coach car. Um, But that was part of it. The traveling was, was really important. But I also did a lot of research. Um, I went to the archives. My my grandmother, my mother placed Matilda's um, material, all of her archives at, at the Walter Ruther Library in at Wayne State University in in Detroit, and so I went there and I went through all the archives that were that they had all of her things there and my grandfather's papers were also there and so I looked at some of those and then people that I knew amateur historians and other people who were interested in this part of history this era. Um, got in touch with me because I put a few things out online about Matilda, trying to get more recognition for the accomplishments that she she did. Um, and people started sending me things. And then I started doing more online research, uh, especially for imagery and pictures and that sort of thing. But the commentary, the actual written commentary for me was, was more difficult because it was hard for me to figure out who's what the voice should be and what, what tone I should take. And then I realized, well, she was my grandmother and I, I did know her pretty well. She, I was 20 when she died. So um, I could just tell the story in, from a personal point of view or, or you know, and, and just be very straightforward about the voice and it would work out fine. Well, and, and I think it did. Um,
0: so, one of the things I like to ask authors about when I interview them is what their writing process looks like. So, when you sat down to write those commentaries, um, you know, how did you do that? On paper, by computer? Did you write on perhaps, you know, the, the manuscripts that Matilda had provided? What did that look like for you?
1: Well, I did have a copy of her entire manuscript plus a lot of other documents. I had the entire archive from Wayne State from the Ruther library, which isn't very big. Um, and so I, I had those documents to refer to and, but mostly I, I write on the computer. I, I type pretty fast and I find it's easier for me to write typing than even in longhand. And, um, and it, it was Real slow going at first, and then after after I started doing some more research and reading and rereading and reading and rereading her her manuscript and some of the other material that I was finding, I I, I it it seemed to come a lot faster and a lot more easily. So so that was um it was a very long process for me. I worked slowly, but um, but it was pretty straightforward, you know, s- sitting at my desk pounding away at the computer. At the same time, I was doing the drawings. I mean, I was doing the drawings at the same time I was doing the writing. And I pretty much did them chronologically. I went through the manuscript page by page and imagery that popped out for me. I would try to figure out either. Sometimes I had images to photographic images to work from. I had some family photographs and some that are in the archives at Wayne State that my mother donated. Um, And so, you know, those I could easily turn into drawings. But other things I had to do, historical research, I had to, you know, make sure the costumes were accurate, that the interiors looked like interiors of the time, that the street scenes um, looked like street scenes would have at the time that Matilda was writing about. So those kinds of things. Um, So it was, you know, a lot of computer, some libraries. And um, just flipping through manuscripts and and photographs, and the illustrations, how did you go about making those what what's style for for people who
0: can't just flip the book open like I can on my desk right now? Um, can you tell me a little bit about the style of the illustrations?
1: okay um the the material I used was a, it's a scratch the medium is scratchboard, which is a a chalk um, chalk a, a chalky substance applied to a a substrate of some kind of masonite type substrate and then covered with india ink and so to get the image you scratch through the black to reveal the white that's underneath and that provides the highlights and the negative spaces for the for the drawings and the reason i like that um Particularly for this pro- uh, project, but I had been using it for other things that I was doing too. But I liked it for this because it has the feeling of of old um, uh, block prints, the like lino cuts or, or woodcuts, and because of the the method that's used, which is removing the black to 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 get the highlights and the whites. So, um, and and I thought that it it those. That technique and the and that medium really lent itself to kind of giving a feeling of the period that the work was set in. That I definitely agree, uh, and they and they go really nicely with uh,
0: Matilda's memoir. So so let's turn then to to Matilda's story and to the memoir that that makes up um, sort of the the body of the text. So the book begins with Matilda's childhood in Ukraine. Uh, can you tell me about her early years? Yeah,
1: she was, um, she was Jewish and she was the first girl in her family, the first generation of girls in her family to be formally educated. Her mother was illiterate, um, and very devout, um, a, a wonderful homemaker housewife, and also her family had a little inn and that's what provided the livelihood for, um, my grandmother's family. So, um, my great grandfather was, was, had been an orphan and had studied for the rabbinate, but, um, he actually was a, came from a family of harness makers. So they were, you know, they were petty, um, craftsmen and, and, um, they had, you know, and, and merchants. Uh, and Jews of course at that time were quite discriminated against in eastern europe and uh there were um the family endured increasing hardship so much so that my great grandfather decided that he couldn't maintain his family there anymore and he left to see if he could make a living in another part of the world and he landed first in England and then on to the United States where he on and off was a laborer for the rest of his life. Um, It was a very typical um, kind of immigration story for so many people from Eastern Europe and also from Southern Europe at the the time that my grandmother came over. So uh, she did go to school. She was probably the equivalent of about the eighth grade when she, when they left Russia. And her father had gone, as I said, five years earlier, uh, before the, the the mother and Matilda's four siblings left. And I, I just imagine this woman, um, who speaks no other language but Yiddish, cannot read or write, shepherding five children through Europe—the first time they'd ever been on, seen a train, let alone be on a train—and you know, go- going all the way from the shtetl to Glasgow Scotland where they where they uh caught a boat for the US it was quite a uh, it was a typical journey but it was it was an arduous one well and it, it, it you
0: know the story itself suggests that the strength that Matilda's mother must have had to undertake that journey with all of these children and her husband a continent away. And, but, but in, in Matilda's memoir, it's clear that her relationship with her mother was, was quite complicated. And I wondered if you could speak a bit to that.
1: Yes, it's quite clear, isn't it? Um, she's, she definitely was hit her daddy's girl. Um, <laughs> she, she really admired her father and he was the impractical one, the dreamy one, the one who would prefer to read his paper and have a glass of tea or have, uh, discussions with his friends. And he was an atheist and her mother was devout. Um, and her mother really wanted for her daughter, what she considered was the pinnacle of, of feminine achievement, which would be marriage to a hardworking man, not too much like her father. And, um, and, lots of kids and she wanted her to be a good housekeeper and and um um a cook and those were not things that matilda had any interest in at all she was interested in poetry in history in romance in music and in politics and she was she was you know she she wanted a different kind of life. She could imagine a different kind of life for herself. And so I think she and her mother were always at odds. I don't think her mother really understood what her daughter was up to or what, what she, she was about. And I don't think Matilda really understood or sympathized with the, the role that her mother had to, to play in her historical period. And I think that's the kind of, of, uh, of, of, struggle between mothers and daughters that's not uncommon.
0: Yeah, I I think you're definitely right. Uh, They probably had more in common than either one imagined. (laughs) Um, When Matilda was still quite young, I mean, she was about 14 when she, um, you know, was in the U.S. and began earning money clipping threads at a shirtwaist factory during the day and attending school at night. Um, So she worked 10 hours a day and a half day on Saturday for two and a half dollars a week. Um, and and so, how did Matilda describe her work? What does she say about it?
1: Oh man, Matilda was just the absolute quintessential uh, Marxian when it came to um, uh, to the alienation of labor um, under capitalism. I mean, she thought it was the most boring, tedious, unpleasant work. And I think the thing that was really upsetting to her was how really boring it was because you just did the same operation over and over and over again nothing was demanded of the worker in the way of intelligence or any kind of initiative it was just it, you were just a replacement for a machine which now workers really are being almost entirely replaced by machines so i mean she she was again <laughs> Very progressive, she hated the work that she was doing and resented the fact that she couldn't be in school well and and you know she and and you
0: describe how she started to really grow more politically aware um through her work and through um, other experiences and and she writes that it was the trial of Charles Moyer and Bill Haywood, leaders of the Western Federation of Miners, and she writes um I'm quoting here." that that trial was the unfolding of labor's history and labor's struggle for me. And I followed every word, every nuance with avidity. It opened my road to socialism, never to be closed, um, end quote. So what do you think it was that drew Matilda uh, to socialism? And,
1: and what was it that kept her there? Well, I think, I think really the principles of socialism were things that she just could not dispute she really really believed in social democracy and i think that that he, you know socialism was in the air at that time even even especially in europe for where she originated um the socialist movements were gaining all kinds of momentum and that it was also gaining momentum in the united states so she was not just influenced by this one trial but she was influenced by the people she was meeting um the the, the fact that she was was curious about um oh she attended plays uh, progressive plays you know the plays of of progressive writers she she performed in an ibsen play she you know went to susan glass bell plays i mean she was she was really involved in this in the the youth culture of her time, which was was tended toward socialism and anarchism and you know theories of of liberation um that we're beginning to see on the rise again i hope i i think <laughs>
0: Well, you know, you, you talk about, uh, or she talks about um, sort of how these ideologies, you know, really uh, inspired her and, and obviously connected with certain just inclinations she had intellectually or, or personally. Um, and then she also got incredibly involved in the labor movement. And and I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about
1: her work as an organizer. Yeah, she she... Didn't set out to be an organizer. She just joined organizations. She was a member of the um, WTUL, the Women Trade Union League, and she um, was a, a, joined the IWW. She joined the Socialist Party, and she was very active in the Socialist Party. And she was one of the few young women in the party that was very, very active. And she allied herself with the radical young socialists. And among them, and this is another fun part of, of her story, was my grandfather, Ben Legere. Um, and I think she became very involved both personally and politically in this movement because it was so um, important and so um, exciting at the time. and And so she felt so it, it would it would actually lead to changes that would make life better for all of the people who were in her position, workers. Well, I,
0: I definitely want to talk more about Matilda's work, but let's, you know, you sort of mentioned your grandfather. So so let's talk about romance for a second. Um, your grandmother and grandfather had a, a, a very tumultuous, on-and-off-again affair for many, many years.
1: So how did they meet, and, and what was their relationship like? Well, I guess that's why I mentioned it, because it. it I think they met uh, probably in 1910 when Matilda was working in a shirtwaist factory in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and Ben was living there too. And he was part of this young, um, the young socialists, the radical socialists. Um, and he was an actor and very handsome. And he was married with two children. And he... Um, and Matilda both believed in free love. And so they decided to engage in it, but it was, it was difficult because it was certainly not popular and her parents were appalled. Um, And um, so then she, she, um, after having uh, this beginning of a romance with him in Bridgeport, she decided to escape the whole thing and go to Boston. And that's really when she, it sort of embarked on on um, thinking that maybe she could do more than just clip threads uh, in a shirtwaist factory or put stays into corsets in a corset factory, that she could maybe be more useful. And she, in Boston, she got a job um, with some educated women who were conducting government surveys on... Um, Working conditions in factories and um, workplaces in Connecticut and Massachusetts. And Matilda was so adept at all the uh, nuts and bolts of doing the work that she was asked to do, which were recording statistics on the one hand, but also translating because she spoke many languages and just being a, a very, very quick study. And people were kind of amazed at her abilities. And um, so during that period she she felt like she maybe she should maybe she should go to college and she was being encouraged by some of her coworkers on the on the um uh on the studies uh the the labor studies to to apply to college and but at the same time Ben her lover had gone been sent to Little Falls by the IWW to organize a, a strike that had, had broken out there and so he was when he and his his partner Filippo Volini were thrown in jail. Um, she was sent by the IWW to to go and and lead the strike for the IWW, and that that was her introduction. And it's a that's my one of my favorite chapters in the whole book is her discussing discussing her becoming an organizer for the first time. And all, I think that one of the marvelous things she does is she, um, she goes into, uh, great detail about all the nuts and bolts of all the daily tasks that, that were required of somebody who really wanted to conduct, conduct a successful strike. And she, in the meantime, my grandfather was in jail. He was not my grandfather yet. Um, but, uh, he was to become my grandfather and, um, he was, they were, they were sending letters back and forth, which were intercepted. So this was also Matilda's first, um, introduction to uh, a spy in the movement who, uh, took the letters and turned them over to the authorities and they were published in the newspapers. And I'm sure, I think my grandfather adored having the stuff exposed in the press um, but my grandmother i think was somewhat humiliated by being exposed uh but their their affair continued um, after he was out in j- out of jail well before he was uh he was in prison for a year and um matilda was on the stump trying to organize um funds to for his release and um working for that although at the time she said she was finished with the relationship but it was not to be. (laughs) It continued for 10 years, on again, off again. And and it's I I cannot figure out, even though I've read this stuff over and over again, I cannot imagine what it was that kept her coming back to somebody who was so unsuited. Well, it's interesting because she writes about him with such
0: sort of deep love, but also such an awareness of his shortcomings, right? I mean, she is not blind to the ways in which he is not the man that, that she would wish that he was, um, and, and the way in which he isn't really handling his responsibilities um, in different ways. And, you know, you, you write in the book, um, though Matilda and Ben were initially united by politics and love of literature, one can only guess that much of their attachment was erotic, and it sounds like that's sort of you trying to figure out, why does she keep going back? But what's it like to write that about your grandparents?
1: <laughs> it is kind of odd, isn't it? It's hard to imagine such a thing, really. Um, I, I can only do it if I imagine them as characters in a movie or something like that, you know, not related to me. That's <laughs> the only thing that I, that makes sense to me for what would have kept this this romance going over such a long period of time when as you've already pointed out she was so aware of his shortcomings and he was really rather exploitative and sometimes violent and and that really surprised me that she tolerated you know she kept welcoming him back after he would ex- he would act with some violence um i it must have been quite a passionate affection well and and you know of
0: that affection right was born your mother Vita, um in 1918 and matilda describes that time um as one in which she was quote deliriously happy um and but i just keep thinking about it, certainly, of course, there have always been single mothers, but it's interesting to think about a woman in 1918 becoming a single mother by choice, right? She decided to have a child with Ben. And I wondered if you could tell me a bit, what was it like for her to be a single mother at that time?
1: You know, that's something that's been very interesting to me throughout my life. My mother always knew that she was, as she would sometimes say caustically, a bastard. Um, And Uh, And And then she would laugh. And if somebody, my father would sometimes, particularly when he was driving, say something like, oh, you bastard, get out of my way. And my mother would say, I'm the only bastard around here. And so my mother was quite clear that, you know, her parents had not been married. And, but because of the milieu that Matilda traveled in, not her family, not her parents, not society in general, but the socialist party, the bohemians that she knew, the, 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 the people on the left that were her friends and her colleagues and her coworkers, um, m- most of them were pretty much on the same page as she was about such things as she would say to, as she would say to me, marriage is a corrupt institution. Um, And just in that tone of voice, um, she, she, you know, weathered it pretty well. Although she used the, the, um, the, she, she called herself Mrs. Robbins, not miss um and she allowed people to believe that she was either divorced or widowed because otherwise it would have been more difficult for her to find work and it was really really necessary for her to find employment and that was the most difficult thing about being a single mother is having to, care, to take care of a child and matilda writes about it and and it's in the appendix of, of the book and i think it's a wonderful essay because it reminds me of my own experience at the same age. Well, and, and I
0: think it's it's really interesting to read Matilda writing about the challenges. And she writes in such sort of everyday detail about just trying to make the money stretch and figuring out how can she get childcare enough so that she can work here or work there? Where is she going to put Vita? and that tension she feels between wanting to work and also having to work to support herself and her child? and yet not wanting to be away from her daughter but wanting her daughter to have these wonderful experiences outside of the city that she can't be there for i mean it just spoke so clearly to a contemporary moment as well i think any parent who's working for pay while also being a primary caregiver reads that with you know sort of a lump in their throat just she's just trying to figure this all out
1: yeah and she you're right i mean she remembers Detail in in of such minutiae. I mean, she knows how much a loaf of bread costs, how much a, a gallon of or a quart of milk costs. She remembers every salary she was ever paid. I mean, she's quite. She I I assume that her memory is is accurate. Um, I have no way of really checking it, but it certainly seems to be in line with what else i know about you know pay and and so forth at that period but it's funny that she can rem- it was funny to me that that she could remember everything with in such minute with such minute detail i agree with you that i think the the the, the strain and the stress of having to especially for example if the when she would talk about the the a daycare worker wouldn't show up. The the girl that was supposed to take care of Vita during the day wouldn't show up and she had to be to work. And she had to be back by exactly, She had, if she missed a train, she would not be back in time and the caretaker might leave. Or, you know, if the child was sick, uh, what did she do? Uh, you know, she had to be at work, but she also had to be with her child. It was I mean i've I went through the same thing. Nothing has changed. It's really depressing. It's true. it's true and, and we don't get this in the memoir, but what was it what was your mother's experience of that like? How does she describe her childhood? I think she was I think she had a good childhood she She felt that her mother spent too much time in the evenings at meetings. She really did not like her mom being away and leaving her alone in the house. She wished she always wished she had siblings, and I think that's why she had four children herself. Um, and but she and Matilda were very, very close when Matilda was growing up. And sometimes when I read the letters that, that pass between them, where she's calling her mother's uh, Madonna Mia, and and you know, and Matilda also addressing Vita very tenderly. And they were they were extremely close, as you might imagine, being just a family of two people. Um, and also, you know, Matilda being so um involved in her political work and her jobs. Um but I think I think my mother certainly didn't feel any any embarrassment about her own situation being an only child of a single mother. I think my mother was somewhat of a rebel herself.
0: It would be hard to be Matilda Rabinowitz's daughter and not be a little bit of a rebel, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it it is interesting. I I think probably that's a lesson or not a lesson, but as I read the book, you know, there may have have been moments where Matilda hid the fact um, that, you know, that Vita was born out of wedlock. Um, for pragmatic reasons, right, going by misses or leading, pe- letting people assume what they wanted to assume about mm-hmm. her situation, um, but there's no shame at whatsoever. Oh, absolutely there's not.
1: No, no shame, no regret at all. No, that's right. She really was principled. I mean, that was one of the things that was so is so outstanding to me about her. Personally, she was incredibly principled, and she was always, I mean, and she, the principles maintained from the beginning, she didn't change. The principles that she adopted as a young woman were the principles that she still adhered to um, on her deathbed. I mean, she really, really was um, extremely honorable and principled. And she, you know, if she believed something, she acted upon it and she had no regrets. Well, and and one of the things I think that the details she provides in her book,
0: the way in which she stood by her principles often brought her into conflict with other members of the labor movement or the socialist party. Um, And and that that was actually one of the the most challenging parts for me in reading the book was that at least when I was reading Matilda's memoir – I found it hard sometimes to follow those internal struggles and debates within the labor movement, partly because even though I've I've taught about this era and read about this era, it it tends to be broader strokes, right? Sort of the labor movement, as opposed to these really internecine debates within it and and disagreements. And, And I found it hard to follow it sometimes, you know, why she was disagreeing with someone or or how her views differed so strongly from someone else from a different organizer or a different labor leader and i wondered how did you go about making sense of those because your commentaries really helped me to understand the things she had written so how did you go about making sense of that as you were as you were reading her memoir
1: well i think i really did i mean we matilda and i had many many discussions um, throughout, from the time I was a little girl, because I was interested in in history and I was interested in the labor movement, and I and and I followed politics of of my time, and if so we would have lots and lots of discussions. So I knew what her point of view was. I mean, I knew why she didn't like, you know, the the craft unions. I knew why she was, you know, sort of opposed to the AFL CIO because she would complain about them all the time. She despised the politics of the Kennedy administration. Um, she because she believed, as a, as a wobbly would, in industrial labor. She thought all politics should start in the workplace. I mean I just understood these things um because of because I knew her and because we talked about them. And then, of course, as I as I read, I began to see some of the more nuanced things, and but but a lot of it I just because I knew exactly how she thought, or not exactly I can't say I knew exactly how she thought, but I knew how she thought politically, because we had so many discussions over the years, and she disagreed with my par- parents on things too. I mean, I would talk to my parents, and I would talk to her, so it it sort of helped me you know, kind of see how, and we're still doing it. The left, left is still doing it to itself. It's still destroying itself by, you know, internal arguments. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting to me, though, that, you know, I mean, Matilda
0: clearly had strong opinions about these things throughout her life, I'm sure till her final days. Um, but but she ends the memoir, it, it seems to me, somewhat early in her life, um, she stops writing. And so I wondered if if you could tell us you know
1: where is matilda in her life when she ends that memoir she was right at the midpoint the chronological midpoint of her life and i think that she ends it there because she considered it the most exciting part of her life it was the the story it was the story she had to tell the rest of the story would have been probably very confusing and not very interesting because it would be a lot like what you were just talking about, uh, you know, internecine battles of, you know, who thought this and why they were wrong, that sort of thing. But the, the, the early stuff, the, the first half of her life, I think she considered to be, you know, the exciting, the thrilling, the most interesting and important part of her life because when she, she, because she became a parent, and because her daughter was really the center of her life, she moved to Los Angeles. She was probably thirty-six, I think, thirty-six or thirty-seven years old. Um, she um, put Vita in progressive schools, the U- UCLA training school my mother went to, and then she went to a private school in San Diego run by a communist. Um, and but she she on she had to work and she her her politics were very much you know evening meetings and saturday afternoon gatherings and that sort of thing um she worked uh first when she came to california she worked as she taught herself sh- shorthand and typing so she became a secretary and she could do uh, um uh take dictation for, for, for people. So she worked for, for business people. And, and, but then she got a lucky break and she got a job as a social worker at a Jewish welfare agency in Southern California. And she was there for many years. Um, and, Almost as soon as she arrived on the scene, she decided that she would organize her fellow workers, her fellow social workers at this agency. So she was still active and she was a member of the Socialist Party in Los Angeles. Sometimes she would leave because she would disagree with the direction that the party was going in. And then she would come back. But she was she organized the Debs Centennial in Los Angeles uh, in the 50s and uh she was a secretary of the of the Socialist Party in uh, that of that um, in Los Angeles uh for several years. So she was, you know, she was still very active um and wrote. She continued to write um articles, uh, polemics. So that's how she and she in late in her life, um, my parents moved to Fresno, I think I mentioned that early on and Matilda was very lonely without her family. She was attached to all of us. And so she moved to Fresno and that did not work out well. Um, She didn't have that many friends in Fresno. It was hard to make new friends at her age. And so when I came to Berkeley to go to school at Cal, she decided that she would move to Berkeley. So the last two years of her life, she... um, she lived in Berkeley while I was in school here, and I saw her a couple of times a week. And she was really included in my life. Our friends loved her. My roommates thought she was amazing, and so sometimes I would drop by and see her on the in the afternoon on my way home from school. And sometimes I would bring friends with me, and she would always engage them in discussions. And they, I remember them talking about C Wright Mills, and I mean they were she, my grandmother just kept a cur, au courant. Of uh, what was going on in the news p- in politics all the time, and old socialists and old wobblies found out that she was in Berkeley, and they would seek her out and come to visit her, so she acquired quite a circle of of people who who you know were friends of hers and I think um i was very i 'm so happy that I was able to share those last couple of years with her, even though I was you know pretty absorbed in my own issues of, of being a, a student and and young and trying to sell a few wild oats of my own. Well, yeah, I mean, you've given our listeners a, a great sense
0: of Matilda's story, which is just an incredible one. And, you know, I really hope that people go and, and read the book because you really have to read her words and, and see the, the drawings that you've created to go along with them to, to get the full impact of her personality. And you do, you really do feel like you you know her somewhat by the time you finish this book. Um, And, and I wondered when you were putting the book together, what, what was, what was the hardest part for you?
1: You know, I think the really the hardest part for me was actually getting somebody to take a look at it and consider it for publication. I I felt, I felt I had a, a good story. I felt I had some decent drawings. I, I felt I could, you know, that, that it was a, a worthy work. And I thought that it was a story that people would want to read and would be interested in, and that it would add to the, to the, to the history of our, you know, I mean, we didn't talk very much about this, but she's been, been really embraced by the Jewish community because she's kind of an icon of sort of Jewish women, progressive Jewish women, and she's she's also a, a really such a strong feminist. And then you know she organized strikes in Detroit in. Ohio in Pennsylvania. She went to jail several times. I mean, she, it's it's really a quite a, a a full story, but getting somebody to actually look at it and consider it for publication was really I, I was so lucky. If I hadn't known somebody who knew Fran, I probably would not have ever gotten anybody. I I asked Actually, asked Fran Benson this. I said, if I just tossed it over the transom, I bet you never would have looked at it. And she said, I think you're probably right. And this is Fran Benson at ILR
0: Press, who ultimately ended up publishing the book. That's right. So you had a friend in common who brought the
1: manuscript to her. I had a friend who had a friend of who was a friend of hers. Uh, I had a friend who is a sociologist at at um, Stony Brook, and he was friends with a. Also, a sociologist who was a good friend of Fran's, and the friend, you know, presented the work to his friend, and she presented it to Fran, and Fran said she thought she was going to have a. Ho- it was going to be a hard sell because, you know, this kind of book is not going to be a bestseller, or you know, probably, and uh, and but. She really, once she decided to take the project on, she really did a magnificent job. I think she created a beautiful book and it wouldn't have been so nice without her. Yeah, I think so as well.
0: I think it's come together in a, in a beautiful way. Um, but, but So that, but that was the hardest part. What was the most fun for you?
1: Oh, doing the drawings. Absolutely doing the drawings. I mean, I had such a good time doing the, finding a, an image that would work and then trying to figure out um, I I love to draw, and so of course you know that that's what kept me going was was, you know, just thinking up new drawings. And even after I finished the project, I I would go back and I would say, oh, I don't like that drawing so much. I think I'll do a better one, and it's not in the book, but I have a better drawing. <laughs> well, you said, I mean, that's what drew
0: you to it in the first place, right? It was the one thing you'd stay up late to do. So yeah. that, that remains. <laughs> If readers take home only one thing from this book, what, what would you want it to be?
1: Oh, my. Um, I would like them to understand how complicated and nuanced um, a life that's dedicated to principle can be and, and how brave one small person could can be in actually creating some kind of social and economic progress. I don't know. That's kind of general. But I mean, I really do think Matilda is a heroic figure, and I, I guess that's what I'd like people to remember.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think that's general at all. I think that's, you know, right at the at the heart of it and and also right at the heart of why this book, even for someone who's not necessarily interested in the history of the early 20th century, the book speaks to more than that. Right, and in, in terms of how one makes social change, like you said, what does it mean to live a, a principled life? Right, and and also just as a as a biography of a, of a really fascinating person um, who lived a complicated life, as you said, and and I you know I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about the book, and and I know that our listeners will too. But before I let you go, um, I, what are you working on now? I, I know you continue to work as an artist and curator. So what's next for you?
1: Well, I'm probably going to try something a little bit more contemporary. I'm working on something that's more like, um, well, the French call it bande designée, the um uh, more like a, a graphic novel or a comic book, even. And it's I got my father's FBI file recently. And so it. That's going to figure prominently in in the story, and it's going to be more drawings uh, than than immigrant girl radical woman and more like it'll be more like a graphic novel or a comic book.
0: Oh, I will read that book <laughs> I'm also impressed that your dad has an FBI file
1: uh, I, don't, I don't think mine does <laughs> well well it's, uh, well it's not very exciting. I mean they didn't find out much, <laughs> but it sure goes on for a long time. <laughs>
0: Well, I will look forward to that one when it comes out as well. So thank you again, Robin. I really appreciate your talking with me.
1: Oh, I really enjoyed our discussion too. Thank you for inviting me.